Well, as a pastor, I, I know that you know one of my primary responsibilities is to preach and to teach the Word of God as faithfully as I possibly can. And it never ceases to amaze me, however, uh, the different responses by people when the Word of God is actually being preached. And one service, you can have a variety of different responses. Sometimes there are people who are listening and they have smiles on their faces. That always helps, by the way. Thank you. Smiles on their faces. They look like they're sitting with great anticipation. They have their Bibles open. They've got pen and paper ready to be able to take notes. And they just seem to be engaged throughout the the period of time when the Word of God is being explained and preached and taught. And even afterwards, you could tell that they really connected with what was being said. And then on the other side, in the same service, you've got folks that, well, to be honest, they look like they're trying to catch up on some sleep maybe that they lost through the previous week. Some of them look a little disinterested. Some look distracted. Some look a little bit angry, even maybe sometimes by what's being said or, or, or just pained, if you will, by maybe what is being said. And so it, it, it's always amazing that it's the same message, yet so many different responses. And in Paul actually experiences something very similar here in chapter 17. He preaches in Thessalonica, and he gets one response, and then he preaches in the city of Berea, and he gets a completely different response. Uh, We read in the beginning of chapter 17 that Paul actually went to Thessalonica, and the Bible says that he did what was customary for him to do, which means whenever he would go into a city, a new city, he would, on the very first Sabbath, he would enter into the synagogue, and he would begin to preach to both Jews and to God-fearing Gentiles. Gentiles there as well, and he would teach from the Word of God. And when he went to Thessalonica, we read that that there were some, in verse 4, who believed the message that he was preaching, but there was a whole large group of people who didn't believe in what he was doing. In fact, they rejected not only the message, but the messengers as well. We read that there was a group of, of Jewish leaders that when Paul began to preach, that they became angry by what he was preaching and angry at Paul, and they began to stir up some men. In fact, the Bible says that they gathered together some wicked men from the rabble. I love that. The wicked, wicked men from the rabble. Sounds like a, a, I don't know, a biker gang or something. I don't know. What are you? I'm the part of the wicked men of the rabble. Uh, the rabble really is nothing more than really the marketplace. It was kind of these, these good-for-nothing men that just kind of stood around trying to stir up problem in the marketplace. And they grabbed him and they said, hey, listen. Uh, and they begin to stir them up into this angry mob. And they go to this house of a man by the name of Jason. And they want to drag Paul and Silas out. But we read that Paul and Silas were actually gone. In verse 12, it says, or excuse me, and the Bible tells us that they had left, that they had fled. Uh, It tells us in verse 10 that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So now, when Paul goes to Berea, he does the same thing as was his custom. He enters into the city. He goes on the very first Sabbath. He enters into the synagogue. And he begins once again to do what? To preach and teach the word of God to the people there. And here, there's a different response. The Bible says here that there was a a large number of people. Many people came to believe. And as you continue to read, you find out that there were some who rejected the messenger and the message as well. But what we find out is it was the same group that had rejected the word of God when they were in Thessalonica. These people were so angry at Paul and the message that he was spreading that they traveled almost 50 miles chasing after Paul and Silas to try to stifle them and to keep them quiet and to stir up another angry mob. 
But again, what we see in this text, and I think it's what Luke is doing, he's trying to show us the difference of people rejecting the word of God and what it looks like to receive the word of God. And so again, it amazes us how you can have the same groups of people who hear the same message essentially in the same way in similar places and yet have two completely different responses. So we're going to look at these responses this morning just for a little while, the little bit of time that we have, and we only have a little bit of time. And we want to look, first of all, at the rejection of the word of God in Thessalonica. Then we want to take a look at the reception or the exception of the word of God uh, in Thessalonica. So let's look at, first of all, the word of God being rejected by those in Thessalonica. We see that they rejected it for two reasons. Note this, for two reasons. First, they refused to listen to reason. They refused to listen to reason. Look at verse 2, if you will, in your Bibles. The Bible says there that Paul reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. The Greek word that's translated um, reasoned here is actually where we get our English word dialogued. So their worship services were a little bit different than ours. When I get up on Sunday morning, I, for the most part, uh, begin to preach, and you sit and you listen, right? Right. I've been in churches that it did not work that way. People would call out, and it wasn't amens that they were calling out, but that's a whole nother time in my life, a little post-traumatic stress disorder. And so here it was different because what Paul would do is he would go in and he would begin to teach from the Word, and people would just basically begin to ask him questions. It was a dialogue. They would sit there and they would object to the truth. But here's what he would do. He would go back into the Word of God, and by very clearly he would begin reasoning from the Word of God why what it was saying was actually true. He was Constantly explaining, giving evidence of from the word of God that Jesus Christ was in fact the Christ and it was necessary for him to be crucified. And this is an important reminder for all of us. It's an important reminder that you and I do not have to check our brains at the door in order to be Christians. That's important for us to understand. Because there are many unbelievers, and there are even some Christians that are believe that the only way you can believe in the truth claims of the Bible is to separate yourself from all reason. For you to be able to come to the point where you ignore reality, facts, and, and any, any empirical truth whatsoever. But I would state as a believer in Christ, I, I think the opposite is true. Nothing could be further from the truth than that particular statement. And though we cannot be saved by reason... You understand that, right? The Bible doesn't say uh, you are saved by grace through reason. Can't reason yourself to heaven. Can't reason yourself to be born again. The Bible does say you are, what? Saved by grace through faith. But with that said, I think that you would agree that God often uses logical reason to be able to get us on the road to faith, to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so what we find, in other words, truth claims are not unfounded within the Christian belief. The truth claims of the word of God. In fact, there are historical, archaeological, logical, and literary evidences that the Bible is what it says it is. And the truth that it says to declare. There's, it's not as though you have to check your brain at the door and just say, I'm ignoring all facts in this world and I'm just choosing to be able to believe this. And so there are all of these skeptics, and if you are around long enough, you'll run into them. 
Sometimes they're just at your work. Sometimes they're in your schools. Sometimes they're all around us. And, and here's what they'll just kind of simply say. They'll say, hey, listen, that's great that you're a Christian, but you cannot come to believe in Christianity based on facts and reason. And so what oftentimes happens is, even though they're skeptical and they'll say that, I have found in my own experience that very few of those skeptics will actually sit down with you and have a dialogue about it. In other words, instead, what they would rather do is they don't want to talk about it. They just throw out sweeping statements like this. Well, you know, the Bible has been proven to be wrong over and over and over again. You know that there are tons of inconsistencies in the scriptures. You know that it's constantly conflicting with itself. It says one thing here. It says something else. It's just filled with errors. It can't be trusted. But if you sit there in a very humble way, I mean, you don't want to sit there and go, man, you're full of it, man. You're going to burn in hell, man. No, you don't want to go that way, all right? But when you sit back and you go, really? It's interesting that there are so many errors and discrepancies within the word of God. Can you show those to me? Would you mind grabbing a cup of coffee with me and sitting down and just explaining these things? Because this is what I believe, and I would love for you to be able to show me where these are. And the majority of the time, they'll never go any further. That cup of coffee will never ultimately come. Here's why. Because those things are what they heard from somebody somewhere who said that they believe is smarter than them. And they use it as a smokescreen to do what? To keep them from taking an honest view and an honest look to see if what the Bible teaches is in fact actually reasonable. I remember that there was... um, I remember a story that I thought was really helpful by Adrian Rogers. You might remember that. Anybody remember him? Great preacher of the word of God. I'm the only one. Okay. And so just this really great man. All right. So said one time that he was engaging a young man who said that he was, he was agnostic in his faith or lack thereof. And basically what that means is that he doesn't deny that God exists like an atheist. He just says one can't be true. He neither, he neither denies the existence of God, nor does he affirm the existence of God. He just says there's no way that you can really even know. Well, Adrian Rogers, in all of his wisdom, just basically said to the young man, he said, well, that's, um, okay, you're an agnostic. He goes, I respect that. And he goes, but let me ask you, are you an honest agnostic or a dishonest agnostic? The young man said, well, I didn't know there was a difference. Oh, he goes, oh, there's a big difference He goes, a dishonest agnostic basically just uses excuses by saying, I don't really believe that there's a God, so that he doesn't have to come and do anything with that information. And a dishonest agnostic would say this, he's not open to be able to hear any facts. He's not open to be able to hear whether somebody has any logical reason for believing what they do. That's a dishonest agnostic. He's unwilling to listen. He says, but an honest agnostic sits back and says, you know, I don't really know if God exists or not. And he says, but if there was some truth, if there was some scientific evaluation, if there was some things historically that somebody could teach me and show me that what it's saying is actually reasonable, then maybe I would go ahead and give it a look. And he says, so which one are you? Are you a dishonest agnostic? Are you an honest agnostic? And the young man at that particular point sat back and he goes, well, I think I'm an honest agnostic. And so Adrian Rogers sat there and says, well, you and I need to have a talk. So he began to sit down and begin to teach him the truth from the word of God. He began to teach them not only truths in the word of God, but also evidences from outside of the word of God. And this young man came to faith in Christ. Why? Because there was an aspect of him that was open to listen to reason. 
But the Thessalonians, those from Thessalonica, weren't willing to listen at all. They were completely closed off to it. Now, we understand maybe you're here today and you're only here today because, let's be honest, there's a really cute girl that invited you to church and, and you are here. And, or some of you, as we say so fondly here, some of you lost a bet and some of you are in the doghouse. And so you're, you're here and, and, and you're just sitting back and going, I don't believe any of this. I think, Christian, this stuff is nonsense. And what I want to encourage you to do is to be honest as honest as you possibly can, and to sit there and go, I will be open. If this, is, if this is not true, then I want to know that it's not true. But if it's true, I'm willing to be able to entertain it, to be able to do my own research, my own study, to find out if it's true. Now, that's true if you're an unbeliever. But there's times that we don't listen to reason as believers as well sometimes. Sometimes the Bible is very clear about what it says, and oftentimes we just completely ignore it. Whether we don't like it or whatever it ultimately is, we don't listen to it. We're not open to it. And so you and I can sometimes do the same thing. We're not open to hear the truth of God's word. We just reject it because we're not willing to be able to listen to it. Now, there's a second thing that we see here. And not only was it that they rejected uh, the word of God because of reason, or excuse me, they were not open. They refused to listen um, based on reason. Secondly, they were blinded by prejudice. Now, we hear that word all the time, so I think I need to give a little bit of a definition. When we hear that people are prejudiced, in our, in our nomenclature, in our, in our culture, in our milieu, whatever you want to call it, I've got all these educated college students here, so I had to pull out smart words. And so uh, I, had to, I had to pull out the smart words today. And so, um, so within this, within this idea um, in our culture, we often think of prejudice as being racial prejudice. We're thinking of color or socioeconomic background. But the truth of the matter is, is somebody could be prejudiced towards somebody for any reason. It doesn't have to be because of the color of their skin or where they're from or how they speak. It could be what they believe or, or for any other myriad of reasons. When we talk about prejudice, it's, it, it means to dislike. It, uh, it's hostility. It's unjust behavior deriving from uninformed opinions. That's what was going on here. If you look in verse 5, look at verse 5. It says, but the Jews were jealous. They were jealous. Why in the world were they jealous? And who were they jealous of? They were jealous of the Apostle Paul. Now, why would they be jealous of the Apostle Paul? Even though he wrote most of the New Testament. And he was the greatest missionary who ever lived. And the greatest theological mind. I mean, what, what is there to be jealous of? Well, they're jealous because these religious leaders, what do religious leaders do? They lead people. And so they've been in this Jewish uh, synagogue, and they're leading people, both Jews and Gentiles, and they're trying to lead Gentiles uh, to be able to con- con- convert to Judaism. And he's got them halfway there. They're God-fearers, but they haven't really taken the plunge yet, right? And so there they are. They've been teaching them. This has probably taken years and years and years to get them to this particular point. And then here comes Paul, and in three Sabbaths day, guess what he gets them to do? To convert to Christianity rather than to Judaism. So what they do is their hatred for Paul causes them to be prejudiced towards anything and everything that Paul is about, especially his belief system and what it is that he's ultimately teaching him. So they're prejudiced towards that. And so I remember, let me explain it like this. I remember in my former church, and well, let me just say in another church that I served, and there was only one, but there was one church that I served to protect the innocent, um, in, in, that I pastored, there was a woman who was in the church that 
was very active, very committed. She was there every Sunday. Every time the doors opened, she was there. She was on the second row all the time. The problem was, is she was probably the least godly woman I've ever met. She was mean and invidious and spiteful and, and angry and argumentative, and, and nobody could even say. It was kind of like she sat somewhere, and there was like a 10-yard radius around her that nobody else would sit. And they're just like, no, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And she would bring her kids all the time and talk about how important it was to be able to bring her kids into the house of God. Well, none of those kids wanted anything to do with God. They didn't want to think anything to do with God because they didn't want to do with anything with mom. Mom's sinful action had caused them to be prejudiced not only towards her, but towards her belief system, which included the teaching of the Bible and the gospel itself. So this teaches us at least one thing. We need to practice what we preach. Would you agree? That you and I, it's not just that we sit and we begin to declare the truth of God's word, but we're actually living it out. If we say that God is a God of grace and preach that message, then we need to be gracious people. We need to be merciful people. If, if we're about holiness, then we need to be living and striving for a life of holiness. Would you agree? But one thing that I notice about this that I think is really interesting, is it's not really exactly what's going on here. So Paul, it wasn't his sin that prejudiced their hearts against him. It was their own sin of jealousy. And so this is what happens a lot for you and I. See, oftentimes if you go and you share your faith, automatically people look at you as an enemy because of one thing that you hold to. It might be simply this. It might be that you believe that you are steward of all that God has and all that God has given you and you need to use your gifts and abilities and finances and things for the propagation of the gospel and the glory of God. Are you with me? All right with that? And somebody could sit there and see, so all you guys are right. You're, you're after my money. That's all churches do is they're just after my money. Has anybody heard anything like that? Money-grubbing preachers, and there are some that do that. But the truth of the matter is, is they use it. And here's the thing is, you've said something that's touched a nerve in them. You've said something, and there's sin inside of them. There's a conviction, and they won't let you go any further. Their own sin of their heart has now prejudiced from them to be able to hear or even to be able to entertain any truth that you might share because of the own sinful prejudice within their heart. And I find believers to be this way. Even believers can be this way. I mean, it is amazing to me to be able to sit down with a believer in Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you begin to talk and share what the word of God says and they're struggling with a sin. And instead of being open and feeling convicted and sitting there and going, I got to do business with God, all of a sudden they begin to shut people off and they don't want to hear them and they'll go to a different church simply because they preach truth. But the home prejudice of their own heart now keeps them from wanting to hear And so this is why this group, this is in the ways that they were unreceptive to the word of God. They weren't willing to be able to listen to reason. They were struggling with their own prejudice and the sin in their own heart. So they rejected the word of God whenever it was being preached. But there's another thing that we see here. And we see the way that the Bereans received the word of God. How the Bereans received the word of God. Look at verse 10. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. More noble. That's an interesting word, right? More noble. The word noble literally means high-born. And that's exactly what I think of when I hear the word noble. Is that what you think? I, I think of really, really rich people. 
you know, of really rich people and uh, people that live in really big houses and in different neighborhoods and people that drive around in Rolls Royces and they, they, they wear tuxedos and they wear top hats and uh, kind of like Chris on the weekends. And so, um, and, and then they, they, they drink tea with their, with their pinky out, right? This is what I think of when I think of noble. But during the time of that Luke is actually writing this and describing this, it had a different connotation. The connotation was one of being open-minded, of one of being receptive and tolerable and or tolerant and generous to those who might speak to you. And this is the idea. So where the Thessalonians were, where they were closed-minded to the biblical truth that Paul was speaking, and they wouldn't give the slightest consideration to the word of God, the Bereans were far different. They were truly noble. The word of God says, and it has nothing to do with how much money they had or how much money they didn't have. It had to do, here it is, on how a person listens, hears, and receives the word of God that they're hearing, reading, studying, and how the word of God is being preached. Now, how did they receive it? Let me give you two quick ways. Two quick ways. First of all, they listened with desire. With desire. Look at verse 11. It says, they receive the word with all eagerness. Now, that word received is important because the word received means to take hold of, to believe it, and to welcome it. So if you're going to be noble in the eyes of God, you're going to be somebody who wants to receive the word of God. They're going to take hold of it personally for themselves. So it's not a person who listens passively. Some of you are listening passively right now. I wish we didn't. Passively just simply means that you're listening, but you're not really listening You're listening not as though that what's being said actually has any importance or significance to your own life. It's just kind of like reading a TV or listening to a TV commercial. You're never going to buy that type of gum, but you'll sit down and you'll listen to it to be able to get through it. Other people listen to the word of God passingly this morning. I know that's not a word. All right, just... You college students, it's not a word. Passingly, I don't believe is a word. But I made it up because sometimes Christians do it. And, and, and this, is, this is why people, how they passingly listen. They're listening to the word, and they're sitting there going, right on. That's good. That's awesome. And I just wish such and such was here to hear it. So it's not as though they're listening for themselves. They're listening, and they know that it's true, but they, all, they can think of, whoop, all they can think of is knocking the microphone off your ear. And so all they can think of is who in the world this applies to. But these people sat there and said, this is for us We're going to take it to ownership with ourselves. That's what it means by received. And they did it with all eagerness. Eagerness means anticipation and enthusiasm. Have you ever entered something like that where you you felt that, right? No, never? All right, let me just kind of give you an example of that. This is me on the rare occasion when we go to theme parks. My wife doesn't like to take me to a theme park. And here's why she doesn't like to take I got to get there early. The key is you got to get there early. Do I have? A, do I hear an amen? Got to get there early, and uh, and if you have a bunch of children, you know you got to get there early. And so if you get there early, you got to go and you got to get in the front of the line, right where they have that little piece of rope. You know that little piece of rope that sits there, and, and you're you're ready to go, and you pull out, and the night before, all these rookies they they sit there and they open up, you know where the park is. Not me. The night before, I've already got it printed out. I know where we're going. Right, And so they get up, and I see the clock, and I'll sit there and go, hey, it's time, whoa, hey, it's time, mm-hmm, 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 we're a little bit late. They finally open, and what happens? I rush off, 
and I say, every man for himself, right? And so I love the little kids are kind of behind. Those that can keep up, great, right? And, and so they can keep up. And my whole plan is you've got to get to these four rides or you will never get on these four rides. So you've got to go. And that's that eagerness that we have. And so the eagerness there, and we can reserve it for all kinds of things, for football games, for, for the steak that you're going to eat, for the Five Guys hamburger that you're going to eat afterwards. I mean, great. Oh, I can't wait. We're eating that. I'm already excited now. It's in the morning, but I can't wait to eat it. These people had that kind of excitement reserved for the hearing of the word of God. They wanted to hear it, and they were hungry for it, and they desired it, and there was a great sense of anticipation. Now, here's the thing that they did. They listened with desire, but they also listened with caution. Notice verse 11 again. Look at verse 11. It says, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. So on one hand, they were excited about hearing the word of God. They were open to it. They wanted to receive it. They're like, bring it on. Tell us. Preach the word to us. But on the other side, there was a part of them that was very careful to make sure that what was being said was, in fact, the word of God. So what they would do is they would look into the words. They were examining. That means continually. The verb tense there is never ceasing, continuing on, a, a continual constant practice that they're taking, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Here's, in essence, what they were saying. In essence, what, now, again, this isn't, this isn't skepticism. And this isn't, is, this isn't being ordinary. All right? I want to make sure that we understand this. You know, and if you've been here long enough, that I'm not the brightest guy, and sometimes I say stuff that I don't really mean to say. I get Paul and Peter mixed up all the time. You, you guys got that, right? I'll say Elijah, and I meant Elisha, and I'll say these things. And, and I'm not talking about you sitting there going, see, this is false doctrine, false teaching. He said the wrong name. You got to be a little benevolent to we ignorant people. We're going to throw, there's a lot of words being thrown out right now, and every once in a while you're just going to say the wrong thing. But for the most part, what's being said is you need to sit back and go, hey, I'm willing to receive this and accept this and to live by it. But at the same time, and I, in fact, I want to, but I just need to know that what it is that you are teaching us is actually the word of God. And the only way to do that is for you to do what? Look into the word of God. Make sure that what's being said is coming from the word of God. So what do we do with all of this? Well, I think what it's teaching us is how, I don't want to be like the Thessalonians. we know that. I want to be more like the Bereans. You know that the name Berean now has come to the point in our culture where it's synonymous in our Christian culture with those that take the word of God seriously, right? Those who study the word of God. Let me just give you some points of application, right, before we run out of time. Let me do this. First of all, when you come, if you want to be a better listener of God's word, then come prepared, Come prepared. Let me, let me give you just kind of, you're like, wow, this isn't very theological. That's okay. We, it's all right. We already did the theological part. Let me give you some application here. Come prepared. Read ahead. Here's what's great about expository preaching. Expository preaching is basically that we're just kind of going through a book at a time. We're going kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We do skip over a couple of verses. It's kind of redundant and it's not always necessary for me to explain all of it, even though it's all significant. I could, and it would be great. I just choose sometimes not to do that. But here's what's great about our church is I guarantee you, if you are here week after week after week and you hear these sermons building week after week, you get much more out of it than if you take a month off and go to all the football games and then come back and jump in. It's kind of like going to a movie. Nobody wants to get up and go to the bathroom. 
So they all sit there and they go, I'm dying. I love to have extra butter on my popcorn. And once I eat it halfway down, I want to go get it. So when my child's there, go get me some butter. Right? (laughs) Go get me some butter. Why? Because I I don't want to come back in. When you come back in, and they know when you come back in, don't ask what you missed. Because once I tell you, I'm going to miss what's happening next. Nobody wants to miss it. It's just like the preaching of the word of God. When you come to the house of God, what do you want to do? You don't want to miss anything. You want to be up to date. Listen to the sermons. If you have to miss, listen to the sermons online. It's there. It's very easy. Be caught up. You'll get more out of it. Number two, um, uh, it's so, so read ahead. And then there's that idea of reviewing as well. Sorry, I kind of messed that up. It's reviewing. That was the first two points. Here's the third point. Rest. Just get some rest for, for, for the help of all of us. Just, just go to bed every once in a while, right? And so don't look, don't use your best time for doing other stuff. Use your best time for listening. You know that if you're going to go and do something, what do you tell your kids? You've got to have a test in the day. You've got to get in bed. But mom, the sun's still up. Get in bed. You need your rest, right? And you need to get your rest. You know that it's coming up. Go to bed at a decent time before you go. Uh, you need rest to be able to learn and to be able to listen. Would you agree? Um, oh, this isn't going well. And so let me, let me tell you, when I was in college, college students, when I was in college, when I was doing my undergrad, um, I remember reading this article that said that you could learn a lot of stuff through listening to things and having things played while you were sleeping. So I was like, this is brilliant. I'm going to record all of my teacher's classes. And, and then I just recorded them in, in Palm Beach Atlantic University. Go sailfish, right? And so, so I, I just recorded all them. And I go, this is the way I'm going to study for this exam. I'm just going to listen to all of these. And guess how I did on the test? Not well at all. It comes to such a surprise to you. So what I learned from that experience is this. I learn more awake than I do when I'm sleeping. So get some sleep. Come prepared. Number two, come expecting. Come expecting. Don't come and go, I just got to put in my time. Come expecting specifically that God is going to speak. If I said this, and we know this, if I said, and we got a decent crowd in here, but if I said next week, Timmy Tebow's coming. If I come, or next week, amen, amen. We've got some of the costumes. I'll drive back. No, no problem. Timmy Tebow's coming, or, or, or Bobby Bowden, or Mark Richt, or whoever it is, somebody that just kind of does it for you. Do you think we would have any room here or the overflow in either service to be able to house all the people? Why? Because they want to hear a particular person speak. Well, I want to let you know that when I get it right, rightly dividing the word of truth, God speaks at Mercy Hill. And that should be what drives us. That is what makes us sit there and go, I can't wait to hear God speak. I don't think, I don't have a God complex, all right, just so that you understand. I don't think I'm God, all right? But what I'm saying is when we take the word of God and preach it in that way, we know that God is actually speaking. This is authoritative and is binding if he showed up to you face-to-face and if he were to speak to you face-to-face. I remember years ago, <clears throat> I'd gone to the Brooklyn Tab. Are you familiar with Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, huge choir? Y'all need to get out more. I, I don't know what's going on, but in Brooklyn Tab, if you go there, this, this 
world-renowned choir, all right? And so if you go there, and I remember I would, and I would take kids, when I was a youth pastor, I would take them up to, to, um, to New York as a, kind of a senior trip, and I would take them up there, and I'm thinking about doing the same. Dan, you can't come. I'm sorry, but I'm going to leave the youth. Uh, just joking. And we would go up there, and, of course, we'd go to worship on Sunday, and we'd go to Brooklyn Tab. If you don't get tickets, you basically can't hardly get in. So there's three or four services that they have on Sunday morning. And you know what? You look out, and people are wrapped all the way around the block, all the way down. And one week, uh, one time, I forgot to get the tickets. So we had to get in line. And I remember sitting there just talking with people, and I'm like, man, look at all these people here for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It's amazing. And so I just began to talk to a gentleman next to me, and I go, man, what, what is it? Why do you think all these people show up? I go, man, is, are they that excited? The music must be amazing. And he goes, brother, he goes, I don't come for the music. Because I come because I believe God speaks here. I thought that it just blew me away going, these people are lined up because they are waiting to hear a word from God. That's how our spirit needs to be. We need to come expecting. And number three, in close here, uh, we need to come discerning. We need to be like the Bereans. We need to be discerning. Let me explain what, what I mean by this. What I mean is you need to go ahead and come hungry again, but you don't need to come and just listen and believe everything the man has to say if he's not saying it directly from the word of God. Now, in in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, if you were to look that up, this is what it says. It says, they read from the book, meaning the scriptures. He says, from the law of God, early or clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. This is what a preacher is supposed to do. Read the scriptures Give a sense, an explanation of what God is saying within the text so that the people understood the reading. It's kind of a clear understanding of it. You, know, you want to know one of the ways that you can trust the guy, at least in part, is if he's asking you to look down at the text of Scripture. Have he sits there? Have you ever seen that happen here? What, what happens if we say, first of all, we see this point. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 12. And what I love is when many of you do this. I mean, it looks like you're on a farm with a bunch of chickens, but it, 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 it looks good. What bothers me sometimes is when I go to other places and be able to preach and there's no this. And I'm waiting. I go, look, look at verse 6. People aren't looking down. They're not looking at any Bible. They're not looking even at the Bible on, on their electro, electronic device. You need to know that what is being said is what God says. Because if it is, then it is God speaking. And if God's speaking, it's binding for you and for me. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this morning and we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, just to know you, God, to want to know more about you, to grow in Christ's likeness that you've given us the word of God, not only to preach, but to hear. Help us this morning to be the hearer of the word of God. Help us to do what it is that we read in the word of God. God, I pray if there are any here, Lord, I pray that, Lord, if, if you've been working in them, and I have to believe that you have, through week after week after week of sermons and messages and small groups and the word of God and your Holy Spirit working, 
that today might be a day of salvation. God, would you grant them faith? Would they believe? Would they repent and turn, place their whole faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ this morning and receive the free gift of eternal life? Would you save some today? God, for many others, God, would we be encouraged to be hearers of God's word, to desire it, to be discerning, God, to jettison, God, any, any amount of, of refusal of reason or to jettison any kind of, of uh, prejudice that we may have in our heart to things that we normally don't like to say, jettison, and let us sit back and say, here we are, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. Lord, help us to live according to those truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? And I'm going to be down here at front, and I would love to be able to greet you. If you want to know more about Christ, if you have any questions about the gospel, about the truth of what we stand, please come. We're going to sit down. We're going to talk with you. We may buy you a cup of coffee, whatever it is. Be able to sit down and just be able to spend time together this morning. But let's take this as a time to respond. Let's, let's pray. Let's worship together.